Hi, my name is Charles Peterson, and you're listening to the Photochromatic Podcast. Folks, today's show is epic. I'll be talking with the great rock photographer, Charles Peterson. Welcome to the Photochromatic Podcast, listeners. My guest today was part of the music revolution of the 80s and 90s that sparked the term grunge. He captured the rawness and chaos of bands like Mudhoney, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, and Nirvana. His influence on rock and music photography forever changed the intimacy and visualization of music. I am honored and so very excited to speak to the amazing Charles Peterson. So let's get started. I really do appreciate you taking the time. You're like a massive influence uh, on a lot of people, but especially uh, you had a huge impact on me because basically you were taking photos and releasing photos during my formative years. Well, th- th- those were my formative years as well. Exactly. You know, we uh, everyone was young. You were, I think you, you know, you were a little older than me because you were further into the scene and sure. able to do all these things. But Mudhoney was a huge influence. Huge. I still love those guys today. But, uh, you know, uh, the whole scene, it, it was exciting for me to get a hold of you because, you know, your images are part of that whole movement. You were, you were the staff photographer at, at Sub Pop, no? Well, you could call me that. <laughs> I was more like the, the, the friend with the, with the camera and the skills. You know, I, I never really set out to be a, uh, you know, embedded per se, but uh, it just kind of happened that way. Con- confluence of who just who my friends were right. and my love of alternative music. Man, I equate that that time period. The beginning of that time period was probably the early 80s with the U-Men and all that. Correct. When it really started to take a, a move. Yeah, I would say definitely like 85, right, right around there, 84, 85. So just after just after like the, you know, the punk movement on the East Coast. We were actually pretty heavily influenced by hardcore both the LA and the East Coast versions and punk as well, you know, uh, more so than is bandied about. I mean, we were we were huge record collectors. So, you know, Mark Arm and I, when we were roommates, we'd spend an evening bonding over everything from Brian Eno to Black Flag. Nice. The next generation, which would be mine, were bonding over Mudhoney Records and Sonic yeah. Youth. <laughs> so it, it just came full circle. It was really, that's that's really cool to hear. So you were roommates with Mark Arm. Yeah, yeah, just out of college. When you started photography, you, you said, you know, you really weren't aspiring to to be a photographer at the time, correct? You just had a camera? Oh, no, no. I, I aspired to be a photographer oh, from about the age of 12. Oh, actually. wow. Okay, so yeah. now I have to ask, what was your first camera? I'm pretty sure it was like an Argus or something. No, actually, my first SLR was a Fujika. Really? Yeah, like a Fujika 101 or something like that. Yeah, and then I, I quickly quickly progressed to, uh, I think it was like a Minolta XD7 or 11 or something. Okay. Which, which I then dunked in a river on a on a rafting trip and my mother was 
incredibly upset at me. <laughs> Understandably so. <laughs> yeah. But she was she was always very encouraging. And and uh, my grandfather, who was a sheet metal worker, built me a dark room nice. at our house when I was in high school. So he he literally bent went to the his shop and bent out a like eight foot long sink. That's awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. That's really nice to have a whole family that's just behind it. And you're like, you know, mm -hmm. just get it done. Do it if, if you if mm -hmm. you want to do it. So is this what you studied in college as well? Were you going for arts and photography? Yeah. So I went to the University of Washington and got my Bachelor of Fine Arts eventually there after five years. And uh, yeah, it was it was arts, you know, I mean, general arts and then photography specifically towards the end. My second episode, uh, I talked to photographer Greg Gerard, and I kind of equate how both of you came into, you know, getting professional work. You were basically diving into this time in which, you know, you had no control over, but it was just kind of, you know, blossoming in front of you and you were able to become part of that. He went to Asia at a time that it was transforming from agrarian to urban. And you were in Washington at a time when the music scene was exploding. Mm -hmm. I think it's really cool when people are able to, it's taking advantage, but it's not really taking advantage. It's just saying, you know what? I can contribute to this. I, I can do something with this. Yeah, it's a very, I mean, it's a very DIY ethos, but I think you have to, I think with anything, you really have to do that. I mean, yeah, certainly I think even to get the assignments, you have to do the work first. Absolutely. And I try and explain that to young photographers. <laughs> you know, I had a high school student once who's like, well, I don't want to go out to the little clubs. I want to, you know, he wants to photograph the Rolling Stones when he's like 15 years old. <laughs> I, I think no matter what you do, what you work in, what you aspire to do, you kind of have to eat shit for a while and then, you know, oh, yeah. make your way up. And honestly, I would rather be in the small clubs taking photos. Well, and the great thing about that was that I was able to experiment at the same time that the essentially the bands were experimenting. So I, I wasn't beholden to getting that perfect cover shot of the singer or whatever. I could just hold my camera up in the air and flash in the other hand and just sort of wide lens and shoot away and see what stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, look at your, look at your role afterward and be like, okay, that worked, mm -hmm. that worked, that didn't. That's a great way to go about it. And I think more people should take advantage of that. I, I think you're right, especially in today's society. I, I think the expectation of having it perfect now is is quite there. You know, back in our time and, and you're, you know, you weren't able to spray and pray with a digital <laughs> No, no. <laughs> so you, I mean, yes, you were whipping your camera. I do around now. <laughs> I do now that I shoot digital. Everyone no, does. I don't. I wouldn't say spray. I, I would just, <laughs> but I, I take an, you know, I took ninety-two gigabytes in uh, in a week of my Hawaii vacation. So and it's okay though, because you can. If you can, do it. I mean, yeah. you know, and and there'll be good shots in there. But yeah, obviously, in film, you don't. The the trouble then becomes editing. Now it's it's. I think it's a real struggle for people to edit yeah i mean you always had that shooting film you always had that thought in your mind like well okay i can fit four rolls into a tank 
right. that I develop in my bathroom or kitchen or whatever closet. So, okay, I have two, two, you know, I have one four reel tank and a two reel tank. So I got to leave it to six rolls. Okay. So what got you started in, in just heading out to the clubs Were were these your friends and you were like, you know what, I'm just going to shoot these guys and, and just have fun with it. Is that kind of how it started? Or were you really looking at, you know, Get, making yourself better and kind of get immersing yourself into that type of photography? Well, I mean, the initial inspiration came from, you know, I was a high school newspaper and yearbook photographer in gotcha. the suburbs, but also the only punk in the school. So <laughs> I was, I was, it was kind of this influence of the music that I was into and seeing these photographs of the great London punk gigs and LA and whatnot. Of course. Going free, you know, and, and so uh, wanting to do that and then just happened to meet with, you know, this guy, Mark Arm, who was in this band, Mr. Up in the Calculations in, in college. And so it just kind of steamrolled from there. You know, he introduced me to Bruce Pavitt, who had this fledgling record label. And Bruce introduced me to Kim Thale, his buddy, who had a band that he was starting called Soundgarden. And so I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I want to go out and photograph you guys and there was, but there was no master plan right. or scheme or anything. You you weren't going to the club singing like, all right, you know, I've got this. I'm 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 gonna dig my oh, way oh, in. Oh yeah, no, I mean it because it could have all been over, you know, yesterday. Yeah, absolutely, seriously, I, I, you know, and a large t- part of the time that I was doing this, I was also working. Um, for a company called Auto Trader, which published a news newsprint yes. catalog of cars and trucks for sales. I developed the film that the agents took in the field. Oh, no way. Dip and dunk the rolls and then made little uh, little halftone prints for the for the that then were waxed up and you know for the for printing. And I should have saved all of my auto traders when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. So uh <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I was also in charge of bulk loading the film. Film used to come in 100 foot rolls and yep. you would put it in cassettes and you get about 18 per 100 feet. So I was in charge of ordering the film and it was all like, okay, well, two rolls for Auto Trader, one roll for me. You know, it was <laughs> so a lot of that early stuff was shot courtesy of, and then I would go in and dip it, dip and dip. As soon as the line was clean, because I, charge of cleaning i would like okay i'm going to develop my own stuff now so they were your unofficial sponsor <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> wow that's awesome so what film were you shooting was it triax at the time triax primarily gotcha. yeah okay until um and then uh t-max 3200 came out right or uh, i'd say i want to say yeah, mid eighties, right in there. So I started experimenting with that as well for more available light. I shot a roll of that when it came out again, just to have fun with it. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, the T Max grain structure I prefer over Tri X actually, but you know, I've, I don't think I've ever shot Tri X. But uh, it's the tried and true black and white film, really. Yeah, Tri X and D seventy six. Yeah, I mean, it was. <laughs> you know, later later on, I I shot. Uh, started shooting the Fuji Neopan 400. I just like the kind of finer grain and a little more consistency, dynamic range. So you, you meet Mark Arm, you start going out, taking these photos. When did when did Bruce finally say, you know what, I, I'm going to start using Charles a little more with this stuff? Or were you approaching him and say like, hey, I was at the show, do you want these shots? Well, um, it, actually, the 
I can just even picture it in my mind in Bruce's apartment on Capitol Hill. I mean, Mark saw some Green River photos I took and was like, oh, you know, we're going to be putting out an EP on Sub Pop, this friend Bruce Pavitt's label. And so he took me by Bruce's apartment with some prints and Bruce is like, oh my God, these are great. You know, yes, let's use these. And and, uh, we just sort of started up a relationship and Bruce, once Bruce had Sub Pop, really going he was like yeah i want you to be the house photographer and you know we want a consistent style he, bruce was into the history of music so he understood branding and of course you know we're kind of modeled sub pop was modeled on blue note sun motown gotcha yeah and and you can actually see that influence really uh the way it was constructed uh the imaging so every i think anyone could equate sub pop with charles peterson (laughs) a lot of those photos were yours and oh yeah uh, once once i figured that out uh when i was younger i'm like holy crap this this guy's everywhere (laughs) so uh did you do the bleach work too that was actually the cover of bleach was tracy uh miranda uh, kurt's girlfriend at the time yeah 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 okay no, I though I did the poster, and there was a big poster that came with yes, Bleach. Yes, I had that. And w- w- ironically, it was a picture of Jason Everman, who quit yes. the band or was kicked out of the band, like before the record even came out. So here we had a big poster of this of this guy that's not even in the band anymore. I but wish yeah, I still that had was, that thing. That was pretty typical of of how things work back then. Yeah, it was so like listening to the stories of you know all the bands you know if you if you uh look at uh tad interviews or uh interviews from mud honey or nirvana or anything it was so incestual everyone was just kind of going wherever i thought that was really awesome and finding out later that you know uh dan peters had played drums with nirvana and mm-hmm. you know there were all these uh i believe uh wasn't buzz from the melvins didn't he jam with uh, Kurt for a while? Well, Dale, actually, Dale Crover, Dale Crover, the drummer, yeah, played played uh, on the demos for Bleach. It's so uh-huh. crazy, but it, I think that's small town music, you know, uh, where I grew oh, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. That that was us too, you know, when we were playing in punk bands and stuff. It was oh, your drummer can't make it. Okay, the guy down the road that plays in this other band will sit in. So uh, it was really cool to read that and be like, oh, okay, these guys can actually make it and do something with themselves. And, and uh, it was really cool to see that, especially I think anyone during, you know, like a, a DIY or a punk movement, I guess would look at that and be like, Hey, I can do that too. I mean, you can't, it's hard. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> so I think you, you get these delusions of grandeur when you're younger and you're like, Oh, I'm going to be in a punk band and I'm going to, I'm going to be the next mud honey. No, you're not. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you, you become kind of the in-house photographer. Are you able to go on tour with some of these bands? Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of did some West coast stuff, but not as, you know, looking back, not as much as I've, would have liked to or should have but this the the money wasn't there there wasn't you know we're not talking you two taking along anton corbin or something (laughs) i mean it just you know and then even even when nirvana was big there was no they didn't ask or they didn't think about it or whatever and i didn't have a credit card at the time (laughs) or you know my limit was when the 
would have got me on a plane, but wouldn't have got me back kind of thing. Right. And, those, and you know, the pre-fame days, those bands are in tiny little vans. And mm-hmm. do they really want to stick someone else with them? Yeah. It wasn't actually really until 96 with Pearl Jam that I went on a proper tour in Europe. I had no idea you went with them. Private jet and all that. It was it was pretty great. Oh, that's awesome. See, so, so you got a little bit of that experience. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. When you were taking these photos, so can I ask, what did you learn at when you started? And then you started going to clubs more and more and more and more. What what did you learn about your style that you were like, okay, um, I prefer shooting from the hip? Or uh, were you more attuned to what was going on around you? You know, you, you had a lot of situational awareness where you could almost premeditate, you know, a shot. You almost knew what was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think the more you worked with a particular band or artist, you could, you can kind of know that, uh, I mean, I also have very quick reflexes too. I'm almost to my black belt in karate now. And, and nice. my, my teacher, teacher at one point picked up on that. He's like, man, you're quick for your age. I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of what I done my whole life, you know, is capturing these moments. You know, one of the big things that I wanted to do, like I said earlier, was not just feature like the picture perfect cover shot of the lead singer. And and I really wanted to make it more environmental. So it was important to me to include, you know, members of the audience or even just the audience itself. I tell young students, look behind you, you know, see what else is going on. Don't get so locked in. Bend your knees, find and find that different angle. And uh, yeah, in a large, you know, I, I work primarily with a 24 millimeter lens. Um, so that's quite wide. It's quite, it's wide, but it wasn't so wide as say, you know, a fisheye or right. something or 20. Or, so there, there's a, some intimacy to it. I also knew that lighting was important. So I worked with an off-camera flash primarily. So you were you were just kind of like holding, you know, the flash. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot clunkier, but uh, (laughs) but it worked. It works. Yeah. You wouldn't have been able to get many of the shots without that because, you know, that's a very dark atmosphere. I mean, oh, yeah, it's it's almost black, really, other than stage lights. So and I love the fact, like you said, the intimacy. And it's true. I think that was the appealing thing about your work is whenever you would look at it, you you felt like you were in the crowd at that show Mm -hmm. and you were seeing crazy shit go on you know you were like oh my god so you felt there which is exactly what a photographer wants you want that emotional response from people yeah the best the best compliment i've i've ever received was from i don't know she must have been in her late 70s early 80s a a woman who was on the board of the chrysler museum in norfolk virginia when i had a a show out there and she was like you know i don't know the first thing about rock and roll but after seeing your photos i feel like i do now oh wow that's yeah, amazing and that's exactly what you want to do you you know to me a great photograph tells a story in in itself without having extra words or you know any sort of explanation takes you there yeah you so you know her looking at it is like oh that's what that's what a rock show is like yeah that's what it feels like that's yeah. you know the, the emotion that comes out in the band and the audience absolutely were you shooting a lot of slow shutter speed yeah so i i would balance out the the flash with with a longer shutter speed um some of the earliest stuff i went way overboard (laughs) and and some of it's really great and it's kind of like 
blurry almost like takes on a shamanic aspect almost some of it just so like i don't know you, you can barely make out the subject but you know there's this energy going absolutely going and then and then i somewhat dialed it back a little bit later because you need i needed some representation especially once the magazine started calling and stuff i realized okay like there's, there's a fine fine line there and and honestly, there were still even with the bands and artists, there were still egos involved. Of course, with what they with what they wanted to use and choose, and some of them now, Mark Arm, like said to me a while back, he's like, God, you know, we 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 made a mistake not using this or that instead of like going for the more safer images, and there's some truth to that. So you, you wouldn't really know it per se, but there's a lot more adventurous images than the ones that we picked out. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does anything come to mind? Is there like a photo um, shoot where you're like, oh, we could have picked a crazier, a crazier image for this? You just kind of have to go back and look at the stuff. I don't know. I, <laughs> no, you know. it's okay. It's okay. I just, I'm yeah. such a huge fan of them and I've probably seen every photo taken. So it, it just, now I'm like, dying. no, you haven't. You have not even, you haven't even started. Exactly. I am, I, I've been saying this for far too long now, <laughs> but I am working on a, on a new retrospective book of that of that work oh, so yes and there will be stuff that yeah i you know i mean and a lot of it yeah is the more chaotic kind of you know where it's just yeah the the lights just take over and the, i i'm 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 also what's known as a for better or worse as a high hit shooter okay uh, fo photo editors would say this it's just like you know, I would present a, a roll of 36 and there was like 24 usable images. Dang. So, yeah, I again, you know, it's film. I, I, I couldn't monkey around. I had to like, <laughs> I had to nail it. It just boggles my mind that you honed yourself so well. And so you, you went in, you know, obviously not thinking I'm going to get the Rolling Stone shot. But at the same time, you were extremely disciplined. You were disciplining yourself mm -hmm. over and over. And that's. Uh, I think a lot of people miss that. Yeah, and I, well, I'd also, you know, from a young age, uh, I'd also studied classic photography. So, okay. you know, when I was in high school, I was checking out Gary Winogrand and cats like that. So I wanted to approach it as an artist, not just as a fan. So, and you can tell it could have, it really could have been any, any, anything, but this was the subject that I had right that I wanted to create art out of it and I think that's the line is uh, you may be a fan of something and you may take photos of it but you're not disciplined enough to take a good photo of it you know mm -hmm. so learning the rules and then applying them to something as chaotic as a live show really panned out well for you and and uh, I've never heard of the phrase high hip photographer but man 24 frames out of 36 is really goddamn good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, did, it just does make editing later on. And now, especially uh, when you've got several thousand rolls to go through. Right. <laughs> uh, it, it, it makes it like this, you know. So, uh, yeah, like I said, for better or worse. Absolutely. And, and another another thing that I, I taught myself early on was how to print in the darkroom. And I think that made a, a big difference to, to take it beyond a snapshot feel or quality to it you know i knew how to dodge and burn extensively and particularly using a flash black and white film you had to teach yourself that oh yeah uh, because of blown blown out areas and whatnot and i wanted to make it you know look like 
my hero photographers <laughs> right their work so yeah I, I you know i have some prints that would have upwards of like 25 dodges and burns i really admire people that uh take the creative control 100 percent. you buy the film you shoot the camera you shoot the scene you take it home you develop it yourself and then you print it yourself uh, having that total control, I think, teaches you a lot of things. Like you said, with with flash photography, you have to dodge and burn quite a bit. And you said, what, 25 times in a photo sometimes? Yeah, yeah. There's a few that, you know, and I just uh, just dread having to print it again <laughs> and again. <laughs> but it's trial and error. So, yeah, of course, you know, people are shooting film and getting a little more into film. And uh, I think I've I've seen you say like you know it was great when I had it but now I have now I have a digital and it's fine with yeah. me. And I think when someone starts out in film and they they haven't done digital or anything in the past, they kind of become these weird purists and they're like, oh, it's got to be film, but it's it's harder. Oh yeah, <laughs> from from start to finish. So why not you and know more expensive and more expensive for sure. So you know once you have your editing equipment and stuff on your on your computer, you're kind of good to go. Uh, and if you've got a good lens, then you're you're set. So what do you think about that? Uh, it, do you think for those that can do it and and that actually take the time to be disciplined and, and really teach themselves something, is it worth it for them to maybe not take film so seriously, maybe shoot it, but you know also shoot digital, kind of learn from each other? And also, is it helpful for them to maybe take a darkroom class? Because they're becoming available again. I mean, is that something that would translate into digital i think most definitely uh on the darkroom thing i'm so glad that i have that experience because because you do have to pre-visualize it's not just given to you so you have to look at you have to understand lighting more i think in the negative and you don't have the same dynamic range with darkroom paper that you do with a digital sensor. So, you know, I think another thing too is to treat shooting uh, digital as the same as you would shooting slides. Oh, I never would think of it that way, but you're kind of right. Yeah, you know, because with digital, it's amazing what you can eke out of film. But with digital, if it's not there, it's not there. And I shoot with a Leica M10, which is primarily these days, which is, you know, a little beyond what I think maybe what many people would shoot with right. uh, quality wise. Mm -hmm. But but still, I, I have to, yeah, really every shot I take, I think about f-stops and shutter speeds and, and lighting. Lighting is, is key. It's really, really key. If you can learn lighting, whether you're doing film or digital, that, that's your half, half the battle right there. That's the, uh, I think that's the thing I'm constantly working on with myself. It's, uh, I need to get more, I need to be better with a flash uh, using artificial lighting. So mm -hmm. uh, it's great to have natural light, but that's not always available. And if you start shooting things that you like, like I'm starting to really like long exposure night photography. Mm -hmm. I also kind of want to make really interesting portraits and that's going to take lighting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, experimenting with that kind of stuff. Uh, it, you're absolutely right. Because if you talk to any professional photographer, they're going to say the same thing you did. Lighting is key. 
Lighting is key to everything. It's what brings out the gestalt, that that feeling in your gut, the emotion. You know, you can have the greatest moment ever, but if you if if there if there isn't some semblance of interesting light around it, it it doesn't have that same emotional impact. I don't think it's almost that snapshot quality you were saying, like just a mm-hmm. you know a quick point. Yeah, it just kind becomes of... more representational. It's, yeah. it's really what the great thing about film and the darkroom was that you could create quite a bit of that after the fact okay sometimes you know with dodging and burning and then and then i think that once you've learned that then you can start taking that into digital uh you know translating those i I don't want to say it's entirely different skill set is how you do it for sure the visualization the idea is there it'd be like a it's kind of a soft skill of you know having Mm -hmm. that visualization and moving it across it's your it's all about your intention yeah intent is is key as well mm-hmm. i'm kind of i'm still liking that you compare digital to a slide film it's true uh there's not you don't have a lot of wiggle room no yeah you blow those highlights and it's it's gone yeah and sometimes you want to blow the highlights but it's like it's you know slide film's beautiful you can have very beautiful digital shots, but it, that exposure has to be right on. That's a that's a really good way of looking at it because you can't work with slide film after the fact. It's just gone. No. Whereas, you know, a color negative or, well, color negative depends on the film. Color negatives can be tough, but yeah. But black, black and white is very forgiving. I have some color film left. I, I got into color film, uh, I think, back in 2017 when I first started shooting. And I, I think once I exhaust that, uh, I, the film part will always be black and white, I think, to me, because it is cheaper. It's easy to develop. Uh, I can take it to a dark room or I can create my own little dark room here. But color, just shoot digital, it, it, as yeah. far as my opinion goes. I'd say the thing I miss the most is shooting uh, medium format oh. film. Yeah, I don't think a, a digital camera today can match can match that. No, not not until they can size up the sensor. It's just it's a matter of the depth, the lens, and the depth. You know, with the full full two and a quarter. Yeah, and I you know I think it's down the road. We'll probably yeah. see those cameras come out, but technology has to advance a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the ones that are out there, they have the obviously they have the detail and the resolution, but they don't. They, you still don't. The sensor hasn't sized up to that yet. You right. don't have that same same depth quality. Absolutely. All right. Well, we we covered the the digital versus film. I like to do this with a lot of people that I talk to Uh because I love to get their perspective on it. And there are some haters of digital and Oh, I I mean I I I push back on it for the longest time. You know, when when everyone else was out buying their Canon (laughs) uh 1D Mark II threes or whatever for seven grand, I went and bought an IMACON film scanner for for (laughs) 10 grand <laughs> and uh it actually just went kaput on me last Ooh. year unfortunately oh. but i had a good 16 year run out of it and it 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 paid for itself over and over and over again yeah 16 yeah. years is a lot to get out of you know a, a piece of equipment like that so yeah you were yeah, fortunate i was yeah and you know i i get some people say you know digital cameras the sensor you know they're limited to a certain amount of frames and once you've shot that amount then there's no guarantee the camera will work after that and that they say you know obviously film cameras can last forever if they're maintained mm-hmm. uh, so that's a point but what my i have a sony a7 ii and it's like a hundred thousand after a hundred thousand shots it's gonna they they can't guarantee anything 
I don't know when I'm going to take 100,000 shots. I'm not that prolific of a photographer. So maybe I guess if you were really super prolific, but come on, I, I I don't know. I Yeah, I don't I don't buy into that either. So <laughs> So is the is the M10 the first digital camera you've owned? No, uh the first digital camera I owned was a Nikon D200. Okay. I actually went and did a, a job for Adobe. Oh. Uh, when Light, Lightroom 1.0 came out, I uh, I tagged along with a filmmaker who was doing some shorts on some photographers uh, back east that were promoting Lightroom. Sure. So, uh, you know, I couldn't go shoot it on film because it was supposed to be about <laughs> this digital, right. you know, program. Uh, so I bought a, uh, you know, this kind of most inexpensive but best body I could find at sure. the time. And then uh, I think my second was maybe the M8. Okay. Uh, I, I sold my state-of-the-art darkroom and bought like half an M8 body or something <laughs> at the time. So at, at that point then... Is that did you just basically get out of film altogether? Yeah, I kind of had to for health reasons primarily. Um, the the chemistry was was literally killing me. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. In fact, my wife said when she first met me, I had sort of this silver grayish pallor to me, and and I would walk into the dark room and just get immediately fatigued and tired wow um even wearing a respirator for the last few years really uh, just didn't didn't really cut it so at one point you were literally a walking ghost yeah it's kind of the untalked about aspect of of film photography I honestly, I've never heard of it. So that's, that's interesting. Is this, is this more common than we hear? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they, some say that it could contribute to Parkinson's, you really? know, that may have been Weston's downfall, uh, or I mean, you, W. Gene Smith's downfall. Um, yeah, it's not OSHA controlled or anything. And, you know, I never really had great ventilation in all the different places that I had to set up. You just develop where you develop, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. So if you don't have proper yeah. ventilation, that's true. And I'm sure there are plenty of photographers that are in that situation. So, wow, yeah. that's, uh, yeah. So people need to consider that as well. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it depends on the amount that you're doing and you were probably in the dark room forever. Yeah. I would spend considerable amount of time there. Uh, and it just depends on the individual too. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, I've sort of had some chronic health issues beyond that. So I think that just sort of exacerbated that to a degree. For sure. So that is, that's definitely something to consider when, when thinking about a dark room though. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, those, mm -hmm. you should look into the safety factors of that. It's not all, especially if you're developing color. Good Lord. That's, oh yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. really, really nasty stuff. I mean, I develop color, but I make sure windows are open and everything. It's uh -huh. it, that fans are on. It's, it's nasty chemicals. Yeah, it is. And it actually doesn't smell as bad as the black and white chemicals. So you're not as attuned to it. Right. It's actually, I think doing more more damage than and stop stop bath which you know you kind of gives you that immediate reaction <laughs> the stop bath jitters yeah uh -huh. it's wow yeah all right well that's yet another thing i've learned i had no idea that uh you know it could impact someone that much but i guess if you're in there quite often you just mm -hmm. it, it you probably are so focused on getting things developed and whatnot you just you don't even think about it 
You're just doing it. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. it's the afterthought. Like, oh, God, I feel like shit. But, uh-huh. you know, I had to spend this time getting this stuff developed. That's crazy. So I've seen your travel photos. I really, really like them, especially the stuff you've put out for Vietnam. Mm. So did you really enjoy your time there? How, how was your time in Vietnam? It's one of my bucket list places to go, actually. Yeah. So I th- made five trips there, I think six or seven to Southeast Asia altogether. I kind of needed to step outside of my little rock and roll world and (laughs) almost in the late 90s and almost sort of prove to myself that I could photograph something beyond that. And, you know, also just that I, I, I kind of missed when I was younger, I sort of missed out on some of that world travel stuff because I was just going to dark nightclubs instead you know i was always kind of jealous of my friends that went and spent that year in india or whatever and right. I, yeah i didn't didn't do that I, so yeah and, and it, typically i set myself up somewhat of a challenge by shooting uh, most of it on medium format what were you using at the time uh i was using a roloflex okay and then yeah and then later uh, mamiya six i love the mamiyas the the yeah. handheld version is quite nice yeah i actually just sold my mamiya six bodies and lenses uh like three months ago oh. and they hadn't been in use for 10 years and i was like oh i need to and i think i got more for them than when i bought them. oh for sure yeah the the craze like even minolta cameras at this point uh-huh they're still the cheapest ones you can find and i'm I'm a self-professed Minolta fan. I think that their glass is underrated. Mm-hmm. I have an X700. If you look up X700 on eBay right now, they're going for like $200. That's crazy. I got mine for as a gift, but I know that they only paid like 85 bucks for it. So within a two-year span, mm-hmm. you know, it that price just exploded. And, you know, if you look up Nikon and Canon now, like the AE-1, even the AE-1, which is not a great camera, is going for over $200. So... Oh, the camera that I I absolutely regret selling um, a few years back was my Hasselblad Super Wide. Ooh. And uh, yeah, and and then (laughs) the price of that just like over the last five years, six years, just went through the roof. Absolutely. Every once in a while, I think, oh man, I'd love to go out and shoot some stuff with that. I'm like, oh, I'm not buying another one. So. No, never. Do you still have a film camera? I have a one roll. I have a Roloflex 2.8F or whatever. Gotcha. So, uh, but again, I, I just don't, especially now that my, my scanner's down and I, you know, I, yeah. The, There's no the need. The last time I went to the lab and plopped down like $300 to, to pick up some developed film and kind of look through it and was like, yeah, not really nothing here. And, uh, and even if there was, and I still have to go scan it. That's true. It's, yeah, it's a lot of work and it just reminds you of all the work you had to put in. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, honestly, the M10 is just so good. Man, we, we went on a tangent, but I want to get back to Vietnam. So you gave yeah. your, you, you gave yourself a, a challenge then. So you were like, okay, I'm this rock and roll photographer, <laughs> but I want to prove that I'm a photographer. I can photograph photograph anything so Mm -hmm. uh how much time did you spend there and and what did you kind of i mean obviously we saw what you were focusing on but you know how did you choose what kind of um aesthetic you were going to go for i would typically spend two weeks to a month on a trip you know there was a couple trips i was going to go for a month and then i sometimes would end up cutting it short just for a number of reasons but uh you know i became 
more and more as I went, I became more obsessed with the very far north and the and the ethnic minorities. And that's definitely someplace I'd like to to go back to. And yeah, aesthetic wise, you know, they're much more kind of stiller images, Zen images. For sure. That sort of uh you know, I became fascinated by the the old Vietnam and every once in a while where the new and the old would intersect. I'm sure, you know, I haven't been in 15 years. I'm sure it's much different even now than, than it was. But, but still, there are certain things that just are timeless and, and are for, forever. For sure. And again, you know, it's that still in the back of my mind. It's like I need to, within a photo, I need to tell a complete story and make this something that anyone can read. I always aim aim high. I aim for the iconic, no matter what what I'm doing. You should always aim high, for sure. Uh-huh. But we were seeing, I think we were seeing a different side of your personality, too, because everyone thinks, even after seeing your, your, your other images, your non-rock and roll images, the first thing when I hear Charles Peterson, I'm like, oh, he's, he's an amazing rock photographer. But there are different sides of someone's personality. And I, I think that actually came out in your in your Vietnam photos. And like you said, Zen, I think I've only seen one video interview of you and, and you know, talking with you now. You're very calm. Is that a side of you? Yeah, I mean, I actually uh, one point in Vietnam took my Buddhist Buddhist vows there. I'm not necessarily a practicing Buddhist, sure. but I would say that's probably the the closest I have to or an actively practicing Buddhist. I should say. I'd say it's it's you know I've I've done a ten day silent meditation retreat before and plan on doing another one. Uh, at one point in my life, I did about forty or so ayahuasca ceremonies. So, you know, I've kind of dabbled in that spiritual side of, of things. And yeah, I, I would very much say that's that's part of me. You know, this last year I've been making, shooting landscapes uh, primarily, uh, what I'm kind of calling my ambient album. Okay. Uh, it kind of it started in Kauai in February of 2020. Okay. And then just sort of a culminate one, one thing is I bought a 135 for my uh, M10. Okay. Which is, which is considered uh, for most like a shooters is considered a <laughs> poor choice of, of lens. It's a, sort of that lens that everybody buy buys and then never uses because it's just too difficult. Yeah. Whereas I've, you know, uh, this is great. I'm going to, you know, make this a challenge. Yeah, it's sort of like when I did my breakdancing work, I had to shoot it all in medium format. You know, I couldn't just go out and spray and pay, pray with a with a DSLR. I had to. How are you using it then? So it, it because that's a pretty compressed image. Yeah, which is great. Which I find is great for for landscapes. You know, I mean, I wanted to do. I I felt like oh, I need to subvert this a little bit. Like I I really want clouds primarily, and and when I'm in. Hawaii, it's clouds over sea often, shooting some waves as well. But I wanted these landscapes to be beautiful, but also kind of sinister at the same time. The other day I was photographing some clouds above this radio tower we have here. I kind of, when I'm in the neighborhood I'm using, we're over the flight path as well. So I'm sort of using airplanes and this, it's almost as just sort of like, toys in nature like we're it's so much bigger than us we're we're i mean the clouds were were 
I see them as like ancient man's television, you know, <laughs> primitive true. man's TV. Yeah. Like what else did they have? But this con- <laughs> and it and they're constantly changing. So sure. it, it also appeals to that reflex part of me too so if, if you see some crazy shape in the clouds if you don't catch it at that moment it's it's gone it's done yeah It'll never be again i think as as you know modern men uh clouds are still interesting as children uh, mm-hmm. i always used to lay in the grass and just stare at clouds and just mm-hmm. watch them churn and and do their thing but i think now we're just so invested in our phones we're not looking up whatever we're not looking up and i was photographing the other day and this older man and his wife walk by and he's like excuse me but just what exactly is it that you're seeing <laughs> and i'm like well look at this these amazing light coming through these clouds and he looks up and he's like oh yeah you're right that is kind of lovely and then he sort of looks but he, but he but he didn't want to believe believe it you know it's just sort of like <laughs> he's like sure sure okay <laughs> Okay, crazy man. I'm leaving now. Or, or, the, or, or when I was photo across our valley, I was photographing the radio tower and some crazy light, some light behind it. And this woman walks up and she's like, and she kind of looks at me and and I'm like, yeah, this is like the best view of the radio towers from right here at 31st and Olive. And she's like, yeah, but look at the pink trees, you know, the the blossoming cherry trees. She's just like, what? Why would you want to photograph this ugly radio tower? Yeah, you're 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 looking at what we're missing now. So I'm kind of wanting to subvert it a little bit. Yeah, photograph what what we're missing and. And then I plan on making these as larger prints. Oh, that's cool. Are you going to go book? Possibly, yeah. You know, um, so and, and also just like we have this crazy dog that, that, that you know, has to socially distance anyway. Right. So in our somewhat vacant neighborhood that I, I walk her around, like what else am I going to do? But there's really nothing to photograph but these the clouds so so you might as well take advantage so i might as well take advantage of it and uh yeah i've also become an early riser so you know i've been focusing more on the sunrise than sunsets uh and and again like this using a telephoto it it takes it away from that wide kind of stereotypical cliche view that we see of sunrises and sunsets and you went full circle so you when you were doing live stuff you were getting the intimacy out of wide angle lens but now that you're going to landscape you're getting the intimacy out of a telly so it's it's actually really cool that that you were able Uh to take the intimacy that you know how to create and and move it full circle to a telly lens in nature that's pretty cool thank you yeah yeah. Have you ever had any urge to just run out and shoot a show every once in a while? Yeah. Yeah. I get a little, I've gotten a little spoiled over the last few years <laughs> uh, because I often uh, shoot the more like high profile shows, you know, when the, right. the Stooges super group plays on the roof of the Pike Place Market or Mud Honey, you know, I was in a helicopter for Mud Honey playing on the top of the Space Needle. Oh, wow. After that, I said, I never want to shoot a show except from a helicopter ever again. <laughs> and three, what, two years ago, three years ago, I uh, photographed some of Pearl Jam's uh, baseball stadium shows oh, like man. here and in Boston. And that, that is just, it's, it's just a really a wonderful way to to work oh for sure i i I do have that now that we've been you know i I didn't 
go to shows much before the pandemic, but I think now that we've been locked down, I do have this urge to go back and shoot some smaller shows if it ever happens again. I don't want to say like, oh, it's going back to your roots. It, 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 it's not, I don't think it's something like that. But if, if that's where you spent most of your time, I would think that you would, you know, you would miss that every once in a while, not all the mm-hmm. time, but every once in a while, it would just hit you in the back of the head and be like, you know what, man, it'd be cool just to head out to a, to one of the clubs and just snap some photos. I actually really enjoy these days photographing like jazz musicians as well, or, you know, different, different, different genres. Are you still taking a wide lens with you? Oh, yeah. Still a 24. Is that is that what you're favoring on the Leica, too? With the Leica, I have everything from, let's see, I have an 18, a 24, a 28, 35, 50, 75, 90, and 135 you you have the gamut yeah so uh you know something like the the pearl jam stadium shows yeah i was you know using the 18 quite a bit for the audience shots gotcha uh as well but also you know the 135 my walk around lens is a 28 um that's you know kind of a go-to that would be great if you could get out to a couple small shows and then uh we could see those posts uh which by the way i'm really glad that you're you're on Instagram and sharing with us. I see more and more professional photographers are starting to take that that approach um, because I've heard from a few like read in interviews and whatnot. They kind of don't want to do that because they may be releasing a book or something like that. But I'm like, we're still going to buy the book. Yeah. Like you can post the things on Instagram because first off, Instagram, what you're seeing on Instagram is a shitty upload. I mean, you're not getting mm-hmm. a full resolution picture. So uh, I'm glad that more and more people are saying, you know what? That's fine. You can see the images on Instagram. You're not going to see them all. And if I release a book, someone's still going to buy it. Or if I have a print, someone's still going to buy it. Yeah, I, I see a book as, as also as just contextually an entirely different thing because For sure. you, 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 the way the images relate to each other and um, is, is very, the sequencing and whatnot is, is very important. Whereas Instagram is a little more random, I think, of yeah what's what's coming up it's a good outlet i think because Flickr kind of died and it's not the best outlet but hey i i found some really cool people in the area that shoot uh it it is a a good tool if you use it properly and Mm -hmm. if you're just using it to take selfies then go for it but uh it's fun to see a lot of um a lot more pros get on there and just kind of say like no no no, you can use this for photography it's okay yeah i follow i follow a bunch of the uh, magnum heavyweights and yeah sometimes i just want to set my camera down and never bother again because <laughs> some of these guys are really good but you can't let that stuff get to you because it, it's i know yeah, yeah no, but it gets to all of us and i'm glad not. you said that because if a pro like you can be like god damn i'm just gonna <laughs> I'm done after seeing yeah. what I've just seen. and But I think that's also good for us. It, as long as you don't put the camera down, you can be like, of damn, course. that's a good photo. I should probably try and take or or maybe not emulate it, but just like. Well, what I, what I find fascinating is, uh, for example, one of one of my uh, favorite contemporaries, Trent Park out of uh, Australia, mm-hmm. uh, throughout this last year so he's been shooting a very similar series to to my uh landscapes uh so i think i think certain minds you know we we kind of think alike in that that way and you can take maybe inspiration from each other and Mm -hmm. it's almost uh it's almost like cooks that you know are friends and they're like oh you know he's a 
he's a better cook or that cook did it this way and I'm going to do it this way. Uh, it, it's actually a, a healthy, it's a healthy rivalry and it's not even really a yeah. rivalry, but it's, no. it's just this, it's challenging each other really. And you don't even, it's, you don't even openly say it. It's just, Oh, that's a really good image. I, I'm going to, you know, I can do something. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it too, it's just, we photograph what's in front of us. So, you know, and, and, a lot of my peers, you know, are, are having families. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit later than most, but, uh, but still, so what do you do? You photograph your, your family, you know, I think who, I think it was Bend Bendixson or something did a, or I can't remember who, who it was, uh, uh, with Magnum did a pretty great series on their young child, uh, this, and I've, I've been sort of doing the same thing myself for the, over the last few years. It's just a matter of, again, a matter of having a vision and, and being true to that and thinking about your audience, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want to subject anyone to my kid photos that are appropriate for grandma. Right. So I have a... <laughs> I have a whole, that's whatever, that's for grandma, but I have a whole set of images, you know, out of like the 80,000 pictures I've taken of my kids. Right. You know, there's about 25 that work as part of a series that that has more of a universal appeal to it. Being able to adapt to those too. So as you, as you grow older, as you change, as you get a family, as your life evolves or devolves, whichever, you know, whatever happens to you. Being able to adapt to that and, and like you said, seeing a vision in that and staying true to it. That's, I think that might be the hardest part is consistency, mm -hmm. but it seems like from day one and you know, you're, you're almost a black belt in karate. It seems like no matter what, you've always been a very disciplined person. Is, is that true to say? Uh, yeah. Yes. And no. Um, as, as my, my wife of few years back once I think we were coming back from skiing or something and she turns to me and she's like you have ADD don't you <laughs> uh, so I and I'm like yeah you know I, I think I do so not not ADHD but ADD so I I can get distracted pretty pretty easily right but uh but I think that at the same time that ADD also kind of taps into some amount of OCD. So I, I'm, a, I'm an Aquarian too. So I'm something of a perfectionist. Okay. Uh, Orson Welles would say, no wine will be released before it's time. So <laughs> I, you know, people want stuff from me. They want to see more and more. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not, I don't release stuff out there into the wild that I am not a hundred percent comfortable with and, and has, has seen the whole process. That's a good practice to have though. I think a lot of early photographers, or even if you're a hobbyist, I think your first inclination is I'm going to post everything. I'm going to show everybody yeah. everything. And that's fine if you, if you're cool with that, but you have to realize that not all of those photos are good photos. So if you're okay with that, that's fine. But for me, I've, I started posting everything and then the more I learned, the more I learned, the more I learned. Uh, you know, I'm not a high hit photographer. <laughs> I get maybe, God, out of a roll of 24, maybe one or two, like, okay, I can use this. The rest of it is just practice. But uh, I like that approach. Um, 
do you think it sometimes hinders you at getting workout? Yeah, possibly. But, you know, I, I uh, every now and then I'll get a young photographer that wants me to look at their, and they'll, you know, they'll send me a link to like a gallery of like a hundred photos of some show or a couple. I'm like, I, I would be much more impressed if they just sent me like four or five. That they thought were like their best photos. Yeah. Yeah. And I have this same issue that sometimes what you think is your best is not really your best. And that that's a big problem as well uh if i'm doing a if i'm doing a portfolio review or something you know i'll just be like okay this image here this is where forget all the rest this is where you need to go and they'd be like really like (laughs) i'm like yeah really like this is what I haven't seen before. The, right. All the rest I've seen before. This here. This is uh, this is where I wanted to go toward the end. Is is you're teaching photography? No, I, I'm not. But I have in the past. I'm not currently. Yeah. Okay. But I, I've done workshops and um, I, for a few summers I did a great until uh, the budget ran out uh, at the the well it used to be EMP now it's Mopop. We did a high school okay summer thing and uh it was kind of fun because and frustrating at the same time because the the kids would just bring in whatever camera they had access to and then i'd try and get them to photograph the 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 bands that were having their workshop the high school bands at the same time okay but again it was a matter of it was more about like less about like technical skills and more about like vision you know yeah and This is this here because this because you got this crazy angle or whatever or something. There's just something there. I could point at it and say, "Okay, you know, let's let's talk about this and read this this image visually. And, you know, you don't have to not about words or your story behind it or the, the whoever the subject or whatever. It's just, you know, purely visual. And then we can... You can work on the technical later. It's I think it's super important to be okay to show others your work and get criticism. Oh, yeah. A lot of people get their feelings hurt. And if that's going to happen, then don't show your work to anybody. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, if you want to improve and someone has some insight uh, that, that is helpful, not just, oh, your photo sucks. Well, that doesn't help. But... You know, if you can explain something, even someone that doesn't know much about photography, but they're like, I don't know that it's something seems off, maybe the angle or something. You say, oh, OK, maybe next time I shoot this or, or try for something else. So I, I think that's massively important. So do you still do that? Uh, it sounds like you do every once in a while. Someone will give you a portfolio or you'll, you'll go over something and help them out. And by the way, folks, anyone listening to this, don't flood Charles Peterson's email with your portfolios. <laughs> <laughs> the two people that listen to this podcast don't do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i do i'd like to probably do it more there's a, a local school here the photography center northwest um that i've worked with before yeah i mean you know everything's different this last year year and a half yeah but uh, i recently helped a local photographer mari tamura with a uh, uh, band shooter with her, she put out a book this last year and and she sent the, kind of sent the final edit to me, which, you know, once I was done was no longer her final edit. Um, <laughs> right. I made like six, seven changes and it really gelled 
the project. I mean, there was nothing, you know, I mean, the, the work is there, the work isn't there, but it right. was like, yeah, why are you doing this? You know, when you could be doing this and just sort of, because you get to, and this has happened to me too. And like, especially with my breakdancing book, I just did not get enough outside help on that. And now I go back and I'm like, why in the hell didn't I include this image? Why did I include those? Because you get, you get stuck on something, you know, right? and you, you have to learn how to get unstuck. It's easy to get hyper-focused and fix it. Yeah. And you, yeah. you have certain relationships between things that other people just aren't going to see. Right. You know? Yeah. It's, it's almost like an inside joke, you know, that only you and, you know, only, you know, and everyone else mm -hmm. is looking at it like, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like they're, why, they're not getting why it. Inclu why include that there when you could have. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so I have uh, your your book, Touch Me, I'm Sick. And so you're saying you're going to make like a sequel? Yeah, the working title right now is The Grunge Years. Gotcha. Okay. So that's, when are, when are, should we expect this? Uh, well, we I was shooting for fall of 21. Now I'd say 22. Is it just because you have so many images to go through? It's, it's partly that. It's partly uh, print sales have been quite strong. So... I'm kind of a one-man show, so, um, you know, it's just constant busy work of other sorts. It's finding that thread. It's finding that, like, oh, God. Uh, I did I did set up a different scanning, a DSLR scanning setup, which okay. is sort of, it's not as good as the Imacon, but it speeds things along a lot, a lot quicker sure. instead of waiting 10, 15 minutes for a scan. It's right. you know, instantaneous practically yeah uh, a lot more photoshop after the fact for the ones that i i do want to work with but um at least i can see stuff quick quicker yeah for sure that helps but yeah no it's finding that finding that thread is it is it going to be like greatest hits is it more of the art just the art art artistry of it is it a combination of the two you know, more backstory uh you know because i have a lot of stuff backstage images and oh that would be fun to see yeah so how to how to sort of weave all that without it becoming you know a thousand page book kind of thing yeah or or feeling manic while you're going through it or feeling like, manic or yeah uh keeping the grace as well uh, and the and the the uh the beauty of it and i want to work uh working with a local publisher that's the idea um minor matters books uh and then hopefully uh, having klein smith from sub pop do the design that is sort of the the plan that we came up with pre-pandemic and then everything just sort of went out the window but because i i get i get uh people approaching me all the time for uh do it about you know we want to do a book with you you know right. hey we did a book on eric clapton let's we'd love <laughs> to do a book with you on nirvana i'm like yeah it's not really how i work yeah so it's it, it uh i don't need to jump but whatever comes along anymore you can take your time i can take my time and, the, and just the concept of going back to my roots and sort of keeping it trying to keep it as local as possible is is very appealing. That is really cool. And to know that that process was done. And working with people that intimately understand the imagery as well. Yeah. Versus just seeing it as Nirvana or Soundgarden. Absolutely. I get that 100%. And I think that's going to show in the book as well. So, and, and I think that'll be achieved. But, uh, well, I think I have taken up enough of your time, Charles. I could 
probably talk to you for hours on end. Yeah, I, I need to go fix some lunches now for my kids. The glamorous life of a rock photographer. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And, uh, you know, you, you're a huge influence, even though I... I Never took the time when I was in bands to pick up a camera and take the club photos, and I freaking should have. But, uh, you know, just, you know, you were an influence in, in me picking up a camera, period. So it was it was very, very awesome to get to talk to you and, and to get to hear about those things. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I'll let you get to lunches, though, okay? Okay. Thank you again. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Bye. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Photochromatic Podcast is recorded, engineered, and produced by Joseph Jacobs. Incidental music by Suffer City. You can find us at photo-chromatic.com. Feel free to contact us at photochromaticblog at gmail.com. You can also find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts.